Welcome to The Numbers Game. I'm Jason and I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are you going today, fellas? Going really well, thanks, Jace. Uh, took Charlie down to get a chess lesson this week in uh, Fitzroy from a young chess master and just opened my eyes up to strategy, mate. You've got to get three key pieces around a particular piece you you want to take. And I thought, yeah, I always used to go for one piece or two piece. But you've got to have three pieces to actually, you know, really win the strategy. So, yeah, I was pumped. Charlie was pumped. Uh, has no relationship to what we're talking about today. But that's what I'm up to. Nick, how are you, my friend? I'm going all right, all things considering. And a uh, very different weekend to yours. I, uh, I got back yesterday afternoon from a Bucks party on the Gold Coast of all places. So, <clears throat> did all the things we shouldn't do. Um, particularly at this age. I'm not sure why people are getting married this late in life, but unfortunately, some things you just got to do. But um, it was good fun, but I'm pretty glad to have it behind me, that's for sure. But uh, feeling all all okay, considering. Jace, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm good. I did think you looked uh, pretty good for having a Bucks party uh, shenanigans over the weekend. So, you know, obviously you pull up well. You're a seasoned campaigner. Um, I'm good. Um, blue skies, sunshine, it's still summer in Melbourne, depending on whenever you've decided to go back through the numbers game catalogue and listen to these episodes, uh, and life is good. I had a, my little nephew's second birthday, had a 40th in the city, rode five spin classes as part of some challenge that I'm doing. So yeah, it was um, hectic, lots going on, but uh, always excited to get into the uh, virtual studio and record with you boys and talk about exciting things, so uh, bring it on. What have we got today, Jace? I might as well say that this episode today is brought to you by Future Advisory because we're going to be talking all things tax. So, oh, not all things tax, but some stuff the ATO is doing around tax. And we've talked a little bit in the past couple eps about different things, but this one's um, probably going to get your attention because there's certain things that business owners do to help minimize tax, not avoid it, but help minimize it legally. And uh, the ATO have uh, brought in some new weapons to go against some of the strategies that have been used for many, many years. So, uh you know, if you do want to learn more, futureadvisory.com.au, and we'll jump into talking about Section 100A, Marty. Have you ever heard of that uh, that couple of letters and numbers? When, when you throw out numbers like that, it just gets me excited right off the bat, mate. Section, uh, I mean, any section's good, but go on, mate. Tell me more. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I'll try, and, I'll try and keep it as simple and not boring as possible before we try and unpack a little bit more, but... Um, one of the ways we structure business owners, um, it's been done since the dawn of time, long before I became an accountant, um, but you've, you've all heard, or you would have heard if you listen to our show, family trusts or discretionary trusts. So a family trust or a discretionary trust allows you to decide before 30 June each year, the trustee of that trust decides where to distribute income to. Um, so let's say whether you know, profits have been paid to a trust or a trust is running a business. And let's say at the end of the year, you've got $200,000 profit between you. You've got a wife that is involved in the business with you. If you're a husband or if you're the wife, you've got a husband, vice versa. You might have a couple of kids um, that are 18, 19, 20, and you're all involved in this family business. So at the end of the year, before the year's over, you'd usually go and see your accountant and your accountant would say, cool, to help spread the tax of the family, what we're going to do is, you know, hundred thousand or you know, eighty thousand dollars to dad, eighty thousand dollars to mum, and then twenty thousand dollars to each of the two adult children. And that'll mean that if they're both studying at university or studying or not working, that effectively get that twenty grand through their tax return tax free. 
up to the tax-free threshold, and mum and dad would pay tax on their $80,000 each. It's a good little family business, and that's the way it's always been done. Now, Section 100A has been brought out as an anti-avoidance rule where a beneficiary's trust entitlement must be paid and physically the cash must be physically handed over to the beneficiary for this to count. And there's also uh, rules around uh, reimbursement agreements and whether there's a reimbursement agreement in place. So there's all these different kind of legal terminology. But effectively, to try and keep it really simple, is that if mum or dad decided to distribute to adult child and it was simply a paper entry where they avoided paying tax on that money, but that money was kept for mum and dad without the right reimbursement agreements in place. And what I mean by reimbursement agreements might be the $20,000 that are distributed to two adult children. You might be able to offset that by saying their board, their rent, their school fees, you know, some travel costs that have been paid on behalf of the parents. That's all been paid for by mum and dad. So the $20,000 isn't actually going to pass to adult children, but it's all been accounted for in school fees and board and rent and whatnot. So that would be, that would pass the test or be okay as long as you had the right documents and paperwork set up to um, make that happen and make that official. I've lost you so far. That all makes sense. Yep, well and truly. Yep, cool. So I think um, where the ATO has had some issues with this, I mean, that sounds like ordinary family dealings. That That's that's a mum and dad running a business, couple of adult kids, that all makes sense. What's been happening for a long time is none of this has ever been, a lot of this often is never properly documented. And a lot of the amounts are not quite often $20,000 to the adult kids. So you can imagine where a business might make 500,000 profit and 180 goes to mum and 180 goes to dad. And then the remaining 120 and 120 goes to adult child one and two. Now, in, the, in all of the years, let's say, I mean, this law, they want to re- retrospectively go back to 2014 and apply these, these law changes. You'd say, if you were distributing $120,000 a year to adult child one and adult child two, paying tax through their tax returns, but never actually handing over the $120,000 per year to to those children, you've got yourself a pretty big unpaid present entitlement to your two adult children because you've never actually handed them the cash. And if you can't show, and there was no documentation in place that shows how that $120,000 per child was spent, effectively what you've done in the ATO's eyes is you've avoided paying tax at the rate of tax that you would have paid for the person who got the benefit of that money. Wow. Question. So the way you explained it, um, it was initially set up for you know, legitimate family dealings and whatnot. Um, it's obviously gone way beyond that. So how – you might not know the answer to this, and, I, and I'll – there's obviously a court case going on at the moment, which is what made us bring this up. So how have they let, you probably don't know the answer, but they've obviously let this go for a long time. Like they can't have just worked this out. They must have known that people were were doing, well, the wrong thing, I guess, in, in the ATO's eyes for quite some time. So any... Is there anything in particular that's brought this up now? And I know there's a massive deficit and they're trying to recoup money, but it just seems weird that they would say, okay, now we see people are doing it wrong. Leave it. 
and then all of a sudden now they want to go back retrospectively? Is there anything being brought up in that court case around that? Look, to be honest, Nick, there's so many things that are up in the air when it comes to the ATO and the government kind of finalising and approving different things with the law. Um, I know as far back to when I started as an accountant, they were looking at um, reforms around Div 7A loans, uh, which is the when you take money out of a company and you don't pay tax on it, it's a loan to the director or shareholder. Now, I've been an accountant for over 10 years, and, and as far as, you know, they've still never finalized the new treatment of how they want to do this or what they want to change. So what I'm trying to say there, Nick, is the ATO has lots going on. The government has lots going on. Somebody will draft these, you know, law changes or practical guidances to say this is what we think should happen, and they'll sit on a shelf and go back and forward between governments and, legis- and bodies that want to talk about it and act on it. And it's, you know, we're now talking since the 2014 practical guidance on this section 100A, it's now nine, nearly 10 years later, and they're finally getting around to saying, this is how it's going to apply. Um, so there was a court case, as mentioned, um, that's kind of hot in the press at the moment. It's called the Guardian case. So it's quite easy to find. And this one, as a particular example, um, actually involves a bucket company as well. Um, so, you know, we've spoken in previous episodes about bucket companies. So you've got to make sure that you're actually, you know, using them and treating them properly. Um, but simply, you know, and not saying this isn't the facts of this particular Guardian case, but talking about what they were looking into was, was a, the bucket company used appropriately as a as a tool in, you know, running a business and distributing income around a group, including companies and individuals? And what ha- what's usually meant to happen is if you've got excess profits that you want to exit out of a trust or out of a trading company, you distribute them from your trust to a separate bucket company, which is like an investment entity or an investment arm. What you know, what we can see sometimes happen though is the funds don't flow to the company's bank account. So this separate bucket company, if you distributed a hundred thousand dollars there to pay tax on you would then need to see the $100,000 should land in that company's bank account and that company should pay tax out of that $100,000 distribution. Sometimes, you know, there's a delay in getting a bank account set up or, you know, the the, the director of all these companies and family trusts goes, ah, oh, it's my money anyway. Why would I bother setting up a bank account? I'll just park this money over here and use it at a later date. So these are the kind of things where the ATO is trying to tidy it up and go, well, no, because if the company was meant to get the $100,000 distribution, the money should be sitting there and that company should be using it to its own benefit. The company should be making income off it or paying tax on it out of that money. But if the business owner simply took that money, paid tax at a company tax rate rather than 45 cents in the dollar in their personal name, and now that that, that person's got that money, let's say in their offset account, they've paid tax at 30 cents to the dollar or 25, depending on the different types of entities they've used. And they're using it at their own personal benefit to offset their home loan, as an example. The ATO is sitting there going, well, if you're going to use that money, you should have paid the full whacker tax on it, or it should be sitting back where you said you were distributing it to. So I can kind of understand some of the reasons why they've done this. Um, but at the same time, it seems like a lot of the the ordinary dealings that that families would do, like that first example I said, they're going to come under under the the under fire from this because if they haven't done the documentation all those years where um the money was being used for the family but let's say to pay it was a reimbursement of board so let's say you distributed to adult kids because they weren't pay, they weren't paying rent 
but you distributed to them on paper and had them pay tax through their tax return. Um, these are the kind of things that are going to come under scrutiny from the ATO potentially if you ended up in an audit. And the fact that it's retrospective back to 2014, there's a lot of years of paperwork to go back and make sure that you've got handy or on file. Um, and this is where I guess accountants around the country over the last year or two, I mean, it's uh, Feb 23 at the moment. A lot of this started making noise towards the back end of the 2022 financial year. Um, there was a lot of accountants that went, you know, they felt uneasy. They wanted to follow the same way they'd done things in the past because it had always worked and it had always seemed like the fair and right thing to do when, you know, distributing fa through family trusts. And then some sat back and went, nah, like it's, we, we don't want to be involved. It's too risky. Even with documentation, we're a bit scared of what the ATO is going to do. And it caused a lot of unrest. There was a lot of uneasy people out there that, you know, there was, I think there was a webinar almost every week ran by all these different, you know, CPA, Change GPS, CA, uh, Tax Nuggets. Everyone was running a webinar on how to, how to handle Section 100A. And everybody had a different opinion on what to do. But at the end of the day, it was until the ATO had finalized the legislation and until this court case had been finalized, everyone was unsure how the ATO were going to apply everything in there. And yeah, to be honest, it's it's been an absolute nightmare. So Jason, great, great rundown and got my mind ticking over. Um, how do they go back in retrospect? Because, you know, when you think about it, you're, and where does the liability lie? Because you're getting advice from accountants in regards to, you know, strategically work the best case scenario given how the tax system is operating as a business owner as well. So it's um, where does that liability lie? Does it lie with the individual? Well, they're obviously going to be paying back the tax or does it come back onto the accountant as well? Very good question, Marty. Look, I think um, de definitely right off the top, the individual needs to know what they're signing and agree yeah. with what's been done. I mean, all, you can get all the advice and do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, if you're signing something, whether it's a it's a legally binding document, it's a contract, it's a tax return, whatever it is, you need to know what you're signing off on. And it's not to say you need to be an expert and understand the whole thing, but it needs to be able to smell the sniff test. So if you've gone somewhere and you know been told, "Hey, you can we can help you pay no tax and you're making money," that's a bit of a red flag. And you know, a lot of the time, you probably probably had some kind of inkling or understanding of what was going on. That's not to say that I think accountants or any business advisor who has been involved in this would get away scot-free. On, on the accountant end, we've got professional bodies that we subscribe to, being CA or CPA or IPA, where we agree to act in a certain ethical conduct and we've got a code of conduct. And also with the tax practitioners board, there's also a code of conduct around ethics and obligations and behaviours. So I'd say any accountant that wasn't abiding by the rules or at least advising clients in a, you know, in the above board way. We're, we're, our job as accountants is to help minimize tax. We don't avoid it. We help minimize. And that's what a good accountant will do. I think, you know, often, you know, you're having conversations with clients going, you're going to have to pay tax. Like that, that's inevitable. If you, if you wanted to pay zero tax, I'd probably say to that client, you're not a client for us. Because if you're trying to pay zero, you, you got to be doing some pretty sketchy things to actually end up paying zero tax if you're making good coin. Um, so yeah, so there's definitely an onus back on the accountants to ensure that 
the advice, the wording in the trust distribution minutes, the, you know, how the money was meant to move around. And I think that's why there was a lot of, you know, uproar in the accounting industry was that it was pretty loose back in the day. And even until more recent years where you'd go, yeah, cool, you know, we can, we can distribute 20 grand here and 40 grand there. And, you know, the ATO, they're not going to check for that physical transaction because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if, and they're the conversations I've been hearing from other accounting firms. I've worked at other accounting firms. Um, you know, the, the not loose, but it just didn't really seem like you had to go into the nitty gritty detail on these things when it come to, you know, an ordinary family, all the money's in the bank account for the family. They're paying for things for their other family members. Obviously, you've got those ones that can look a little bit, you know, the example I use, mum and dad and a couple of adult kids. Cool. They all live under the same roof. They're all paying for the same expenses. Sweet. Where you might have some dealings that could be more scrutinized might be, let's say you distributed to your parents. Let's say you're, you're in your 30s or 40s and you've got a retired parent and you smack 100 grand through their tax return and they pay $25,000 tax, give or take. Realistically, you're probably not going to go and transfer that 100 grand to your mum or dad. And then if you do, you, they're probably going to give it back to you. And then really it's like, did, did that seem like an ordinary dealing where that seemed fair and reasonable to the Australian government that you got you got away with paying less tax because you used your mum and dad's tax return for a distribution? Now, on the scheme of things, you'd sit there and go, well, no, that doesn't seem fair. Like, just because that person's running a business and got a family trust, why should they pay less tax? But again, at the end of the day, and not saying right or wrong, that wealth going to the parents, you could have actually physically transferred them the seventy-five or $100,000. And at some time in the next five or 10 years, if your parents were getting on and they decided to start to pass some of the inheritance down back down to you, you're going to get that money back in your hands anyway at some point in time. So again, you could argue that there was a family dealing where that would have worked out that way anyway. So you can understand, I mean, you know, why Why this has become a very hot topic in business land, accounting land, um, and with the ATO and the government. And while this case is still um, on at the court, oh, no, I think it's um, got the, the final, final details have come out now. But I guess the point of this episode and point of talking to you guys about it is you need to be careful. You need to have these conversations with your accountant about how, how best to distribute money moving forward. And if in the past you have used other family members, it's probably worthwhile doing a bit of review and saying, what was the extra documentation that I should have had in play? You know, if it was distributing to an adult child because they are, I'm paying for their uni fees or their board or I've bought them a car, you know, maybe just go back and document some of those things down or, you know, but you want to know what, I guess what skeletons are in the closet if you have been doing this in the past and maybe go and have a bit of a review and a look with your accountant to see if there's anything that needs to be done um, moving forward. Well, I think the interesting thing coming back to the bucket for a moment is that what you said about the fact that there has to be some form of relevant you know, potential investment or benefit to that company being set up as the bucket. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll give you an example. It'd be total transparency. Um, you know, we have a bucket company, my wife and I, but we would put that money into a term deposit mm-hmm. and invest it that way with the idea of building up the numbers in the bucket company to be able to distribute income into the future when maybe income isn't as high, you know, so so use it use it as a strategy piece but the fact is that money's not in the bucket company being invested it's in personal names now that's 
technically a potential flaw that I might need to readjust there. And I couldn't imagine how many people would be in that particular situation that has a bucket, just purely on the fact that I didn't know you need to be utilising some sort of investment tool or corporate strategy in the company itself. And and it's simple to to kind of not tick all those little boxes, um, Marty. I think you know that that's a prime example. It's an easy one where you haven't deliberately gone out of your way to do the wrong thing and let's say you know not have the company with that money in its hand. You wanted to invest it and use the money what it was planned for as an investment um, tool. So I mean the simple fix there, and not saying it's a simple fix, but what you as a let's say your accountant might talk to you about and say, what we need to do is make sure there's some commercial things in place. So if that money's gone to you and you've invested it, the company needs to earn interest on that money being out of its account for all that time. So the the company will make a commercial interest rate. You'll pay tax on the interest that that money earned in the company and the company will get that money back once the term deposit ends. So you might just put some documentation in place around that. Um, but, I mean, I definitely recommend setting up the bank account so you've got that account to park the money back yep. into when it's done and could potentially even look at term deposits in the company's name. So yes. then it sits on the balance sheet and the interest is paid into the company bank account and once again, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a simple simple fix. But, again, the subtlety you just yeah would not have known about. So given the new, you know, the new format. Well, I think that 100%. just goes to show how loose it's been from the ATO because if, the, if your accountant doesn't feel to explain doesn't feel the need to explain that to you. It just goes to show how loose things have been and how things are overlooked. And what really frustrates me is, you know, go back 12 months ago and, you know, you've got all these COVID incentives that the government's actually come out and said, well, people, well businesses should not have got those incentives. So you've got people mm-hmm. that have tried to do the right thing, um, like our business with the um, with the government benefits and actually painted a, a true picture as to whether or not our revenue is going to fall by 30%. You've got other businesses that just put in whatever figures they wanted and in some cases blatantly lied. And the ATO comes out and says, well, we're comfortable that money went back into the, co- the economy, so we're not going to go back and look at it. Mm. And that's obviously a resources thing. And then you get issues like this one where it's created by their own tax law and they've let it go for 10 years, 12 years, and now they want to go back retrospectively and possibly make some people broke, you know? And I would assume they're not going to do that. Like I'll assume they'll only go after people where they know they can recoup the money. Um, Otherwise, what's the point? But it's bloody frustrating. Like, you know, all of a sudden there's a big debt and all these businesses had a windfall, whether they should have or shouldn't have. And um, mum and dad businesses are possibly going to be in the gun Mm -hmm. for, you know, almost – it was un, an un, underwritten rule almost that they didn't look at it and now all of a sudden they're looking at it. Yeah, and, and that's money legitimately earned, not just given away. That's that's why it's so frustrating. Yep. Legitimately earned and utilised, you know, through through the tax system effectively and you go and then money that's given away, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. We yeah, won't bother about that. It's crazy. Mm. It comes back to your initial theory, Marty, that there should be 25% across the board and you get rid of all these problems. You know? Across the board. Then it just becomes an advice piece to do better you know, in, mm-hmm. in regards to your business and income. How much are they going to spend now going back through trying to work out who did what, which is why, which is why I honestly don't, and this is just my humble opinion, I don't think they'll go back because they mm. just don't have the resources. Um, as you said, Jace. They'll try and make a, they'll try and make a um, an, an example of someone, and think about it. They actually don't need to go back. 
Like if we sit here, we're sitting here talking about this today, mm. how many people are going to change or are going to pivot on the way that they were going to lodge their 2022s and their 2023s? So yeah. how much money are they going to make make back just in the next or just in the last two years? You know, you've got 2022 year that a lot of people wouldn't have done if they were businesses and you've got the 2023 year coming up. They're going to get millions and millions back just by having the core case and saying, hey, we're, we're watching it. That's why I personally don't think they'll go back retrospectively for most people. This is just a warning sign and they'll start to recoup money from day one. You know, I look. This this has been a very high level recap, and because it's all relatively new, I'm definitely going to say, look, I'm not an expert on Section 100A. I've listened to webinars, I've gone spoken to lawyers about it, um, who run a lot of webinars, special tax lawyers. So there's lots of info. It's really in depth. Um, you know, when you do click through to the tax ruling on Section 100A, it's hundreds of pages. Um, what I would say is if you are concerned, if you think, look, that sounds like what I've been doing, um, the ATO have a thing called the Practical Compliance Guideline. It's PCG. And it talks about the ATO's compliance approach on Section 100A. So that's probably a good place to start. What they then talk you through is green zone back to red zone. So if you're if you're in the green zone, if you read through, there'll be some things they talk about as examples that puts you in the green zone. It's basically saying you're low risk. Like what you've done while could be seen to fall under Section 100A, you're in the green zone, you're low risk, just do these couple of things. Then they've got things that are examples of high risk red zone. And what it's saying is if you think that you're falling you know, into the red zone and there's potential things that have come up in your, you know, get your records ready, make sure you've got agreements in place um, and go back and kind of do a review. So that would probably be where I'd start if you're concerned or worried. Bit of a quick overview of Section 100A and look at the practical compliance guideline and obviously talk to an advisor, talk to your accountant and um, get ahead of this. And obviously there's a couple of months until the end of the 2023 financial year. Start early on your tax planning and put some plans in place on how how to make sure that you're still effectively minimizing tax, but without uh, getting yourself into the red zone of the ATO. Fantastic content there, Jace, today. I, I think, again, all these subtleties can cause great concern for a lot of people. So just to know that you need to be allocating those funds effectively, just not on paper, whether it's bucket or whether it's to children or parents or whatever the case may be, there has to be a commercial standpoint on that. I think that just gives people another level of understanding that they can go and execute and implement on to make sure they're okay. So, yeah, fantastic stuff, mate. Yeah, it also comes back to the importance of having the right advice, you know, and mm. if you're doing your tax reactively and trying to reduce tax, then it's not the way to go. I think you just nailed it there. You've got a few months left. Get in there now, understand what your tax is going to, be, is going to look like because if you were doing things like this, there are other things you can do, you know, set the bucket companies up, open bank accounts, um, super um, – super contributions, there's, a, there's other things you can do. So mm. it's never too late to start your tax planning, that's for sure. And like we know, the tax office can uh, make all tax 25% and then great people like Jason can advise people to grow their business further and uh, build people's careers as well. Twenty. That's all they have to do. Just, just <laughs> do it. Please, please. Oh, just makes so much Marty, sense. Marty anyway. V for Prime Minister. Marty V for Prime Minister, guys. So when Marty V runs, you numbers game listeners, get ready to vote for Marty V. Until next time. Game over. Get on to a tax office. Mm-hmm.